This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. It is so good to have you here at the River Church today. You look fantastic as usual. Um, So this morning we are continuing in our Don't Waste Your Life series. Matter of fact, this is our last day of our Don't Waste Your Life series. Everybody said, aw. Oh, I know you're upset. You're sad. But you, what you guys don't know is that we almost didn't even have church this morning. Did y'all know that? We walked in here. I was out there and I'm hanging out and Joel comes out and he has this look in his eye and like he's smelling stuff. He's like doing this. And I'm like, what's, I said, is everything okay? What's going on? And he looked at me and said, dude, something's wrong. I said, what is it? And he said, it's something smells like fire or burning in the movie theater. And so I come back in here, and I'm as soon as I walk in that door, it hits me in the face. Yeah, Andrew, fireman, local fireman, he's like, y'all need some help? So it hits me in the face, and I'm like, man, it smells like something is burning, something is on fire, something like this place is going down. This is not good. And uh, so I go out, I tell, I go and tell the guy, the manager, he comes in there, he, he looks around, he smells it, he gets real nervous, freaks out, he runs out. I hear there's like a catwalk up there, we hear ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta as he's running in the catwalk to look. And... uh Comes out, turns out it was the heater. <laughs> they just turned the heat on for the first time. So, you know, so if you smell something a little funky this morning, it's not your neighbor, it's the heater, okay? But uh, anyways, we are on our last week in our Don't Waste Your Life series. I hope it's been a fantastic series for you as we've walked through. Don't don't waste your life. The first week is don't waste your life. God has put things in you. You have something to give. You have something to contribute. You can make a difference in this world. Then then we talked about don't waste your life being bitter because bitterness only destroys. Don't waste your life worrying and worry. Don't waste your life, or excuse me, don't waste your, then we talked about don't waste your suffering because even in suffering, there's good that can come out of it. And then last week, we actually talked about don't waste your privilege, meaning we have so many privileges in life. We've been blessed so much. Let's not waste our blessings, but let's use them instead for God's glory. And and as we've gone through this series, a lot of what we've talked about, if you've noticed, have been things that suck life out of us, right? So when we talk about don't waste your life being bitter because bitterness sucks life out of you. Don't waste your suffering because your suffering can can suck life out of you. Don't waste your life worrying because worry sucks life out of us. But today, right, there's we have a lot of life suckers, right? We have a lot of things that suck life out of us. But today, we're actually going to talk about the one thing, the only true thing that actually gives life to us. And so today, as we say, don't waste your life, we don't want you to miss the one thing that gives life. There's all these things that suck life out of you. We don't want you to miss the one thing that gives life to you. So as we kind of start, have you ever been in a situation where you have missed the point? Like you walked up in on a conversation and you made a joke or you said something and you're like, ooh, I just totally misread what was happening in this situation, right? Come on now. If you don't think you have, you probably do it all the time, right? <laughs> like like my, I do it all the time because I walk in a situation, say something, and my wife's just like, oh. Like you just feel it, right? Well, so it, it, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, and so I was looking forward to. Um, well, well, I was a big fantasy football fan, but that's not anymore because I'm getting destroyed this year. Um, but side note, um, that's my own personal issues. But I'm a big sports fan, and so when basketball season rolled around, I was pumped for it. I was excited. I was looking forward to, especially because if you follow professional basketball. Um, there's been so many stars moving around, changing teams. And so this is like going to be one of the most fun seasons ever. 
Well, so I get ready. I get my popcorn ready, as Tio told me to do. And so I get get ready. I'm about to watch the I'm about to watch the Celtics and the Cavaliers game. Anybody watch that game? Anybody see what happened in that game? So literally five minutes into the game, there's this guy named Gordon Hayward who's like this huge star free agent acquisition for the Boston Celtics. Five minutes into the game, he runs up, he goes for an alley-oop, and he comes down. And when he comes down, literally snaps his ankle. I didn't watch it because I saw the responses of the people who did watch it. Right? Like you watched as the players on the court were like in tears, looked sick of their stomachs, looked like about to throw it. And so there's a situation where this player just had a life altering career altering injury literally one of the grossest like devastating injuries could could happen to a player he's out for the year at least right and then there's this guy named skip bayless and if you're familiar with sports you know who skip bayless is he's what we like to call in the social media world as a troll right he's a troll and so literally 10 minutes after this guy just snaps his leg devastating career injury tweets out, well, now it's going to be so much easier for LeBron James to make it to the finals again. What the point would be, oh, let me let me fill you guys in. Because this guy got hurt, now this other player, his team is going to make it a lot easier. And he has this whole like battle with this other guy. And he basically, he makes this all about this little battle he has with LeBron James, totally missing the point that this guy just had a life-altering, career-altering injury. Like read the room, right? Read the room. Any of us ever missed the point? Yeah, this guy missed the point. I say all that to say is that I would hate for us to walk through this entire series, to go through this entire Don't Waste Your Life series, and for us to leave this series having missed the point. Having missed the point that this whole series isn't a plan for your life. This whole series isn't some tools to just help you get out of worry or get out of bitterness or, or to have your best life now, that the point of this series isn't, isn't just some tools for you to have a better life, but throughout this whole series, there's a common thread woven throughout this entire thing and that, and it would be a waste if you didn't see that that common thread was a deep relationship with Jesus. That, that in fact, the reason why we can, we have something to give is Jesus. The reason why we can live our life without bitterness is Jesus. The reason why we can live our life not in worry is Jesus. The reason why our suffering has meaning is Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And so I would hate for us to walk through this entire series and think that it was all about us just having a better life and miss that it was all about life walking with Jesus. That's what that better life is. And so today we're going to talk about the, the, the title of Today's sermon, if you take notes, is don't waste your life, don't miss Jesus. And so today I'm going to talk about three roles that Jesus needs to play in your life so that you don't miss him. Three roles that Jesus needs to play in your life so that you don't miss him. And the first role, if you take notes, is make him your Lord. The first role Jesus needs to play in your life is he needs to be your Lord. And you say, what does that mean, Mike? Well, it's so easy for us to call Jesus our God. But to actually call him our Lord is something different. Like if we walked around the United States of America, we took a poll. Most people in the United States would say that they believe in God. Now, is that God, Jesus, is he the Lord of their life? That's something different. Those two things are not the same. Does that make sense? Believing in something and him actually being the Lord of your life are two actual different things. And so I want to show you what I mean by that. There's actually in the Bible, Jesus calls himself Lord a few times. People call him Lord. I'm going to show you one of those examples. And 
And what he does in this example is this is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And we just talked about this a few months back when we went through the book of John. And so Jesus is in his last few hours, if you guys remember. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die on the cross. And so he gathers the disciples up together in a room. And it's kind of his last statements, right? It's the last things I'm going to say to these people that I love so deeply before I head to the cross, right? It's his, it's his dying words. If you had somebody that was about, if you're about to pass away and you gathered the people that you love, what the last thing that you wanted to tell them, like, this is kind of what's going on here. And so he gathers them together. He washes their feet and to show them a, a symbol of servitude and service to follow his example. When he finishes washing their feet, he says this in John 13, uh, 12 through 16. It says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So if you catch that, Jesus starts off, he says, you call me your Lord and teacher. So you call me your Lord. He says, because I'm your Lord, you need to follow my example. Why should you follow my example? Because a slave is not greater than his master. And if you're sitting here listening to this, you're going, how do we go from Jesus being my Lord to me being a slave? Anybody have, I mean, it's a fair question. Here's how. If we look at what that word Lord means, if we look at that, it, there's, there's deeper meaning to that word Lord. And here's a few things that that word actually means. I want you to catch this. Lord means, and this, the way that Jesus is using it here, it means supreme authority. So when he's saying, you call me Lord, he's saying, you're calling me your supreme authority. Not just that, it also means, it also means master or owner. So he's saying, you're calling me your, your supreme authority, your master. So then because I'm your supreme authority, then because I'm your master, you need to follow my example. And when we become Christians, if you're a Christian in in this room, the role that Jesus then takes in our lives as Christians is he becomes the Lord of our lives. That means he's our master. He's our king. He is the ultimate supreme authority in our lives. That means we follow his example. We follow his teachings. We follow his commands. And sometimes, if you're like me, we have a hard time putting Jesus in that role in our lives. We have a hard time putting Jesus in that role in our lives. It's easy to call him God. Because God is something we believe in that's kind of far off, and maybe we don't have to really deal with that. But Lord, that's a different thing, isn't it? Lord, altogether, the supreme authority in my life, that's a totally different ballgame. That's somebody that's actively working in my life today. That's somebody that is the boss. And you know who like we like to be the boss? All the men said, my wife? No. We like to be the boss, don't we? We like to be the boss. And when Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, that means he becomes the supreme authority in our lives. And for us as Christians, that means we must realize his place of authority in our lives. And if you're like me, I like to do the mix and match games. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I mean by that. Is when, when I make Jesus the Lord of my life, I'm like, all right, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. And what I mean by that is all this stuff over here. You get all this right here, but you know, my wife, you're you Lord over her, you're Lord of my kids, you're Lord of this over here. But this stuff over here, I'm going to hang on to this for a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Come on now. Lord Jesus, you get all this, you're Lord over all of this over here, you get all of this, but I'm going to hang on to this stuff. I'm going to stay in charge of this stuff over here. I got this. And what happens is, is Jesus goes, yeah, I'm Lord of this and I'm Lord of that too. 
And then what he does is he starts to push on us and press us and say, give me that too. And what happens is often that stuff that we kind of hide over here, that stuff we keep over here is the stuff that hurts. It's the deep stuff. It's the deep sin. It's the things that we don't necessarily want to deal with. And we don't really like to get on that kind of level with anybody, much less our God who's going to make us do something about it, right? Like that's why we like to have, maybe we keep some shallow relationships instead of going deep in relationships. That's why guys, we get together and we just talk about sports instead of like, how are you actually doing? But when Jesus comes and he becomes the Lord of our lives, he says, I'm Lord of all of it. That means I'm in charge of, I'm the supreme authority over every area of your life. There's a, 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 a quote that I like that says that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either in command of every area of our lives or he's not truly in command of any of our lives. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Mike? Well, here's what it means. is Because if we do that game where we pick and choose what areas of our lives he gets to be in charge of, we go, all right, Jesus, you got all this. And he says, all right, here's what we're going to do about it. We're like, just kidding, Jesus. I want to hang on to this. And so we kind of pull it away. And so it's kind of a mirage because it means he's not really in charge. He's not really the Lord of that area. And we pull it back whenever we want, whenever we get uncomfortable, whenever we maybe disagree with how he's telling us to deal with something. And I'll be honest with you, um, preachers, sometimes we don't help in that area. Here's what I mean by that. Because sometimes there's bad preaching and bad teaching that puts this burden and this yoke on people that says, you got to do this, 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 and this. And they begin to preach and teach and say things that are heavy-handed, that are um, very legalistic, that actually aren't in the scriptures, but it's their opinion of how they think the Christian life should go. And so what happens is, here's an example of a preacher that stands up and talks about, you're smoking, you're burning, baby. You you smoke now, you're going to get some smoke when you're in hell. You're going to be smoking in hell, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Well, I don't know if you guys read the Bible, but it doesn't actually say anything about that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I would say that's not a sin. Smoking's not a sin. It's probably not your best life choice. But a preacher who gets up and preaches against that isn't actually preaching the Bible, right? They're preaching their opinion about how they think it should go. And so I think what happens is, as Christians, we get confused sometimes because we sit under some heavy preaching, some legalistic preaching, and we go, that's a little crazy. That's a little too far. Um, If he's wrong about this over here, this may be okay too. You see what I'm saying? And so I just want to back up and say that Maybe that confuses us sometimes, and and, and at the river, I want to promise you that we will always do everything we can to preach and teach what the Bible says and not Mike's opinions. Now, sometimes I might mess that up, but I want to make that promise to you that I'm going to do my very best when I counsel you and I preach and I teach this God's word and not something that I made up. But at the end of the day, that's still not an excuse for us to not make Jesus the Lord over every area of our lives, right? And so he needs to be Lord of all, or Lord, or he's not Lord at all. And what I want for us as Christians to make like what happened in Matthew 16 to be true of your life. Whenever Jesus came to the disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? And what they ended up saying is, Jesus, you're the Messiah. That means he's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our God, not just our God, but Lord over every area of our lives. And that means he has control over every area. Your relationship with God affects your everyday life. That means how you live, how you spend your money, how you treat your coworkers, your attitudes, your mouths, gossip. Hello. Our heart, our ability to forgive, bitterness, jealousy, worry, suffering, etc. But at the end of the day, I know you're like, God, I'm Lord over everything. That's not, it can be. But at the end of the day, this, this calling to make Jesus the Lord over every area of our lives is not a burden for you as a Christian. It's actually a relief and it's actually a place that you'll find rest in the long run. Here's a promise that Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. 
He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This call to follow him, this call to make him the Lord over every area of your life isn't a call from a demanding master, but it's a command from someone who's going to come and give you rest and give you peace. He says, I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first thing I want to challenge you to do today in order so that you don't miss Jesus, number one, make him the Lord of your life. Second area I want us to talk about is I want you to make him your identity. So one, make him the Lord of your life. Secondly, make him your identity. In the passage earlier, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master, meaning that we're servants to the king of the universe. We're the servants to the Lord of Lord, king of kings. But Jesus actually does us one better than just being servants or slaves. He actually does one better than that. Here's, here's what I mean. John chapter 1. I'm going to read just a few verses and show you what I'm talking about. But to all who did receive him, that means for those who become Christians, for all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Second Corinthians six eighteen. This is a promise from the Old Testament. God said in the Old Testament, I'm going to come, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to talk with you. My presence is going to dwell among you. I'm going to be with you. And here, this, this is a follow through on that promise. He says, and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You will be sons and daughters to me. This is a different relationship than just servants or slaves, right? You will be sons or daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The world around us tries to give us an identity, doesn't it? Everywhere we go, we have people looking at us, giving us some kind of identity, a different way to grade us. Um, Let me give you some examples. Here's how the world grades you, in case you didn't know. What job do you have? Why do you have that job? Why didn't you do this job? You weren't successful enough to do this job over here? How much money do you make? Oh, will you only make that much money? What kind of job do you have? Do you have a degree? Oh, if you have a degree, how much debt do you have? If you don't have a degree, were you not smart enough to get a degree? Right? Or how, how about this one? Do you work out? Are you fit? Are you in shape? Why are you, why are you not in shape? How do you eat? Do you eat paleo? Do you eat clean? Are you a vegan? Why not? All right? Come on. Or how about this for the moms in the house? Do you, do you work? Do you stay home? Well, if you stay home, don't you love your kids enough to work and provide for the family? If you work, don't you love your kids enough to stay home? You can't win. The world is constantly looking at us, giving us an identity, trying to tell us who we are, telling you who you are. And if I asked you today what your identity was, if I passed out some cards and I said, I want you to write it down, how you define yourself, you might, you might write something down like, your job. You might say the success of my kids. You might list off several different things that you say define you. And I'll be honest with you, for me, this is a struggle for me really because I have a hard time not letting being the pastor of the River Church be my identity. Because we work so hard, we do so much, we give so much to it, right? And so I have a hard time not letting that be my identity. And you might think, well, Mike, that's a good thing, right? Mike, you're Pastors do good things. That's fantastic. That's a good identity to have. No, it's not. It's a really bad identity because what happens is then the the success or failure of the River Church becomes everything about me, right? So if somebody leaves the church, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Was it that sermon I preached on tithing? Ah, right? 
Why don't they like me? What's wrong with me? What's, right? If we don't blow up and grow real big, I'm a failure. What, do I, what did I do? But then there's the other side of it too, right? Say we blow up and we're running like, you know, 30, 40,000 people. That's the plan, just in case you didn't know, right? So tell your friends. <laughs> but we blow up, then all of a sudden it's, <laughs> hey, y'all, what's up? My name is Michael, the River Church. <laughs> all about me, baby. Look, look what I have done, this kingdom that I have built. If we wrap our identity up in these things, then those things will either make us or break us. And if they break us, that's really bad. And if they make us, that's even worse. Because then that's our pride gets wrapped up in that. Man, you try to break somebody's pride. That's a, that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. So for me, I always want the River Church to be my calling, but I can never let it be who I am. I can never let it be who I am. And all there's these all these kinds of ways of defining and defining and defining and defining the ways the world defines us. But I want you to know that the Bible says that maybe some of those things have some value. Some of those things have some value, but the, but the definition of who you are, how you should be defined, should be defined by one thing and one thing only, and that should be that you as a Christian are a child of God, and he tells you your value. He tells you your worth. He tells you who you are, and who he says is that you are a son, you are a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, you better walk in that and that alone. And when you walk in that, you better strut a little bit. Because God says you are a son of the Lord Most High. You are a daughter of the King of Kings. And when we become a Christian, like those verses just said, we are adopted into the family of God. And I don't know if there's anyone in here who's been adopted. I don't know if there's anyone in here who has considered adopting or has adopted, but I think adoption is one of the most incredible things in the world. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world because what you have is a family looking at a little girl or a little boy and what they're saying to them is, we want to adopt you. Can you imagine that moment when this happens? We want to adopt you. We want to invite you to come in and be a part of our family. We want you to take on our last name and we want you to represent our family and our name and we want you to have all of the benefits and blessings that come along with being a part of our family. Somebody better say amen on that. And that's what God says to you when you become a Christian. He's saying you are you are now a son. You now have my last name. You now take on my identity. You now represent me. You are now a child of mine. And when the world is screaming at you, your lack of value, let the only one who knows value, let the only one who understands value be the only one to assign you value. Be the only one to tell you who you are. Wear that last name and then do something with that last name. Walk in it proudly. Live for the king. He is your identity now. Make him proud. And a world that's screaming to you, telling you who you are. Walk in the confidence and walk in the knowledge that you are a son. You are a daughter. And then lastly, so make him your Lord, the Lord of your life over all of your life, every area. Make him your identity. And then lastly, this, this last one, the first two can't happen without this last one. And as a matter of fact, this one has to come before the other two can even happen at all. And this last one is this, is you have to make him your savior. Make him your savior. Have any of you guys ever seen the, like the sidewalk reporting on the late night shows? You know what I'm talking about? Where they go out and they, they interview people, like interview you know, just the general public about who the vice president of the United States is. And like, like what we learn from that is the general public is really dumb, which is none of you guys. Y'all are not the general public, right? Y'all are not the general public. 
right? What we learned. And, but so if we did like a sidewalk report and went around and we asked people, how do you become a Christian? Not how do you live the Christian life, but how do you become a Christian? We would probably get all kinds of different answers. And we'd probably get answers like, well, to become a Christian, you got to go to church. Or to become a Christian, you got to uh, give money to the church. Or to become a Christian, you got to uh, be good and you know do unto others as, as you would have them do to you and all that kind of stuff. That's how you become a Christian. But the problem, the issue with that is that none of those are actually how you become a Christian. Now, all of those have to do with living the Christian life, but none of those actually have to do with becoming a Christian. And if you actually pay attention, all of those, what they focus on is what you do to earn salvation or earn the blessing of God or the love of God versus something that the Bible says is a free gift that God gives to you if you will only accept it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it like this. You are saved by grace through faith that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So you're saved by you're saved by grace through faith and it is not of yourselves. It is gift, not from works, so that anyone can boast. So salvation isn't something that you earn. It's not something that, all right, I've gone to the river uh, 22 times this year, so I got to be good now, right? I got to be good now. I listened to a couple podcasts. God's got to let me in the club now. That's not how it works. Now, all of those things are, again, are living the Christian life. None of those are becoming a Christian. And, and if you're in here today and you're saying, Mike, now you're making me a little uneasy because I've been doing these things and I've been thinking that's how I get in the club. What do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. What you need to do is it's time for you to have the DTR. Where's Joel? Joel knows what I'm talking about. Joel preached at a camp uh, that I directed a while back, and he had a sermon called DTR. What you need to do is you need to have a DTR. Now, a DTR is something that no one wants to have, generally. But actually, in this case, a DTR is a fantastic thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say DTR? It's a define the relationship conversation. You ever had a define the relationship conversation? Usually they don't go very well. <laughs> you need to have a DTR with God. And what I mean by that is you need to come to God in prayer. You need to have a moment where you define your relationship with God. And in that conversation, you realize who you are. You recognize who he is, that he is God. You are a man. He is the savior of the world and you are a sinner lost without him. And that you need to give your life to him and you recognize, you tell him, God, I recognize that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and that you raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of my sins, that it is sin. I want you to hear this, that it's sin that has broken and shattered your relationship with God. And that is only fixed. That is not fixed by you going to church. That is not fixed by you writing a million dollar check to the river. Although you can, we will accept it. It is not fixed by anything other than the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on this cross for the forgiveness of your sins, but you have to accept it. And you have to have a DTR with God in the moment where you say, God, I accept this. Will you forgive me of my sins? I want to make you the Lord of my life from here on out. And I want you to know that it is not done by any other way. Here's how the Bible says it. Through, it's called the Roman road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've all messed up. Not one of us in here is perfect. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. What that means is none of us can earn our way to heaven. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So we deserve death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that word Lord again. If you confess, excuse me, Romans 10.9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Or Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want him to be the Lord of your life. I want him to be the identity of your life, but he cannot be any of those as he, if he is not the Savior. And so today I want to say that if you've never had that DTR, if you've never defined the relationship and say, God, today you are the Savior of my life, I want today to be that day for you. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and we're going to play and we'll have people line the aisles with the lanyards on. And if, if that's you today and you say, man, Mike, what you've been talking about has made me uneasy. I'm not sure if I am. I've been coming to the river and I think I am, but I'm not sure. I want to challenge you to be brave and go and talk to one of those people and pray that prayer. Talk to them about how you can become saved, how you can live your life to God. Make today that day. And if you don't want to talk to any of those people, I'm right there. You can find me. Make today today. Let's make that official. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you can be the Lord of our lives. And what that is, is actually a beautiful, beautifully freeing thing, God. Thank you that you give us our identity, that you tell us who we are, that we're not who the world says we are. We're who you say we are. And that's a child of the God most high. But Father, above all those other things, even more than that, thank you that you are and can be our Savior. God, we're destined for hell. We're destined for death. We're destined for nothing without you. And yet you come and you give, bring Jesus and he died on the cross and you save our souls, God. And so today I pray and I ask that if there's anyone in here who's never had that moment where they've given their life to you, that they would make today that day, that they would pray that prayer, that they would give their lives to you, that we could celebrate and rejoice that someone is saved from death, hell, and damnation. Now they found the King of kings. Father, I love you and I just ask all these things in Christ's precious name.